Welcome to the Marie Manu Cherry Show, where energy and medicine meet. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 19 years of healthcare experience and began my career as an energy medicine practitioner while working as an oncology nurse at a Seattle area hospital. My skill in moving energy combined with my medical background have been a catalyst for change in many people's lives. I hope the next hour will be transformative for you as well. Good morning and welcome to the Marie Menu Cherry Show. We're live here in gorgeous, sunny, stunning, breathtaking Seattle, uh, one of my favorite places, especially when the sun is out like it is today. And as all of you know, one of my favorite things to do is to interview people who I believe are standing on the edge of thought, creating opportunities for us to expand, to express, to actually know more about ourselves, to grow, to evolve. And today is one of those lovely days. I am going to be interviewing Greg Levoy. He is actually here in Seattle, which is very exciting. He has an event here in the Seattle area on Sunday, which we will talk about. He is the author of several, um, many things you can read from articles and magazines and books. He wrote the best-selling book, The Calling. Very exciting. And I'm holding um, a beautiful covered book called Vital Signs. The Nature and Nurture of Passion. Very exciting. So welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here and in Seattle. Yeah. Where do you normally hang out? I mean, from reading your book, it seems like you go everywhere. Yeah, I've been a bit nomadic. I live in <laughs> Asheville, North oh. Carolina. Oh, I love that place. Gorgeous. Oh, you've been there. Yeah. I, um, when I wrote my book, I went there and spoke at the bookstore there. Oh, Malaprops. Yeah, lovely, lovely place. <laughs> and so is that where you kind of call home? Is yes, Asheville? yes, oh, that's nice. certainly home. I've been there for about 10 years. Oh, wow. It's like yeah. a little mini Seattle-Portland uh, in a way. It's kind of like in the 1950s, I think. Small, I mean, slower, but you can buy all the organic food, gluten-free, whatever oh, you absolutely. want. It's amazing. Yeah. And uh, it's also a town in boom times at the moment. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, and everywhere I go, I hear the same thing. When I mention where I'm from, people say, oh, Asheville. <laughs> and nobody uh, really knew about it before, is what you're saying. Like, everybody yeah, thought, no, Asheville, it's really what? Hit its, it, yeah, it's hit its stride in the last 10 or 15 years, <laughs> I think. I can remember because we had to fly from Virginia someplace and get in a car and drive for like two hours and I, I remember going where am I going I don't even understand and then when mm. I of course when I get there there's just this beautiful and gorgeous community of people who are very conscious and aware and oh, yeah. um, just a lovely place so what a great choice but you've yeah. literally been everywhere I mean you love to travel I do love to travel it's the, one of the highest uh, on my uh, my priority list in terms of for instance, how I spend my disposable income. <laughs> so it's not necessarily lattes, it's an airplane ticket. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I truly have loved reading your book, um, Vital Signs. Mm. I think it's it's such an important topic for our time. I, I, I mean, I think it's something that we've needed for a very, very, very long time. You know, people finding their wonder, as you speak about so beautifully in your book, and their mm. passion, and figuring out how to entwine that into their life so that people can be happy and fulfilled and and so that we can also create a better world for all of us to live in because we're so happy and fulfilled. Um, right. I, I think it's phenomenal. And I love your personal stories, too, that you entwine in them. They're funny. Um, and I'm, you. certainly you had a, um, an interesting childhood, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what, I mean, you obviously have been following, and of course I don't know your whole life story, but you've been following your passion, it sounds like, most of your life. Like, it's something that you have not been willing to compromise. Right. Uh, that's true. You know, um, here's a little biographical piece 
that probably explains a lot of the work that I do, and maybe a lot of people can relate to this. Um, I found out in my mid-30s that I had spent the majority of my childhood on Ritalin. Oh, wow. Me and my twin brother. Hmm. And uh, this was mother's little helper, except that in this case <laughs> she, was gi- she was giving it to us instead of taking it herself. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, I, as you might imagine, finding this out in my you know, in your 30s, this was pretty upsetting news because it, 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 what it suggested was that I had been drugged for a good portion of my childhood against my will <laughs> right. because my mother had a hard time coping, I think, with the, the sheer rambunctiousness of three boys. I know. And what fun stories about these three boys, too. I'm going mean, really, yeah. yeah. to love this story because I'm going to love this story, Greg, because I actually I have twins and they're four and a half, so... I'm going to tune oh, in you're big kidding. time. Oh, no, not at all. I forgot <laughs> to mention that to you uh, before the show, but this is going to be great. Uh, boys, boys or girls? Uh, two boys. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah you, have my, you have my sympathy. <laughs> well, you know, my mother wanted a career. She right. wanted a career. Sure. She didn't want children, and mm-hmm. it was my dad who wanted the kids. And I think mm-hmm. it was a coping mechanism. So I right. was pretty upset when I found this out, but a friend of mine said, you know, Greg, that probably explains both of your books. <laughs> because you have, um, you have a bit of a chip on your shoulder. And, uh, and I remember hearing Larry King uh-huh. interviewed once, and somebody asked him, who makes a great guest for your show? And he said, you've got to be funny, articulate, self-deprecating, <laughs> and you've got to have a chip on your shoulder. <laughs> and I was, I was fascinated by this because it's not like I'm encouraging people to nurture their grudges. It's that I want to acknowledge, and I need to acknowledge for myself, that they are a source of power and passion, right. and especially when you hone them into something socially useful. Wow. You know? And, uh, but there it is. is there's an example of um, why passion comes from a word that means to suffer. Oh. You know? And, uh, you know, everybody thinks it's just about exuberance, and it's partly that, but not always. And, you know, it begs the question, what are you willing to suffer for? Wow. You know? but, but in this particular case, um, that's a form of passion, is, um, is a chip on your shoulder. And, and I think, it, it, you know, it's fascinating that I was able to use this to create, in a sense, a life, you know, and, and work and ways that I can teach and be of service and ministry to other people um, by using that, in a sense, that wound. Yeah, of of the Ritalin, you mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. But even before that, even before you turned 30, you have been writing all of your life, really. I mean, you've written yeah. for magazines and newspapers and, of course, your own books, The Washington Post, Psychology Today, American Health, Omni, Reader's Digest, New Age Journal, and many, many others. Um, and so you've always, at least in my mind, um, have found that way to get to your passion, which I think is a challenge for most people. I think a lot of people yeah. don't have what you so beautifully described, that wonder, or you even described it like that that moment of um, shock that a, a, a newborn, you know, that when they fly their arms their arms up in the air and they have that mm. startle effect, as you said. Right. People don't really allow themselves to have that experience, and yet, really, I think that's what life is all about: is yeah. having those experiences. Over. I do too. I know you do. I know you do. And I and I love that you felt so impassioned to help other people to rediscover that within themselves. I think that is yeah. beautiful. Well, I'm, uh, I was blessed to have a dad who was at heart a scientist. And uh, I think I mentioned this in the book, <clears throat> pardon me, his 
favorite game Love that to play game. with me and my two brothers. Love it. Yeah. Well, remember the alien game? Yeah. And this, to me, was from early, early on, um, one of the best teaching tools I've ever run across and, and helped teach me not to lose my sense of wonder. So, you know, the way it goes is he's an alien from another planet. And which we had sort of suspected all along, frankly. <laughs> um, and he was, and, and we were his guides on Earth. And so we'd go out into the world, into New York or down by the shore or whatever, and he would ask questions about the planet that he saw, and we had to try to explain it to him. <laughs> so I love it. It was, a, it was just a fantastic, and it taught us just to wonder at everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is a skill that I've never lost. And frankly, I think of these things as skills. You know, these are the passion, for instance, mm-hmm. wonder, curiosity, reverence. These are not things from the either you've got it or you don't department. Um, I think these are muscles that can be strengthened and cultivated. Um, and frankly, I think it happens best at the level of the moment and the gesture and the decision you know, not the, not the five-year plan. <laughs> and, uh, and so there's something about cultivating the spontaneous act, you know, the spontaneous acting on passions and curiosities and fascinations and wonders. Um, that's really a lot of where the work happens. Wow. Uh, well, uh, obviously people need to make sure that they read vital signs so that they can figure out how to do that for themselves. Because I do believe, you know, everyone has natural gifts and talents and, of course, things that do create wonder for them. But very few people have the spirit that you have where they are willing to risk, you know, just about anything and go out and feel that etheric energy that inspires them to be their best self. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes uh, it requires, and I mean this in the best sense of the word, desperation. Oh. You know, I do. I think desperation is a marvelous um, antidote in some ways to um, sort of a flatlined life or a sense of having lost passion and lost engagement is, is, uh, you know, who was it? It was uh, Red Fox. Do you remember Red Fox? I do, yes. Mm Mm-hmm the comedian, he once said, heroes are not born, they're cornered. (laughs) Right, like the person doesn't know that they have that within them until something happens. Right, and sometimes it's their own suffering Mm. that leads to the passion. Sometimes it's their own desperation that leads them to question the life that they're living, the way that they're living it, what they're getting out of it, what they're putting into it. You know, and and I think that uh, sometimes suffering is... uh, the best way to it. I wow. had a fella ask me, uh, actually at Malaprop's bookstore in, in wow. Asheville, mm-hmm. he said, uh, so I'm stuck, and I want to get overstuck and get into movement again. How do I do that? And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, actually, I'm not entirely sure that you should try to get over it and get immediately mm. into movement and momentum and mm. passion and what. How about just exploring stuck, mm. being stuck, stuckness? Mm. You know, uh, it's like suffer creatively, not just neurotically. You know, get into it. Draw pictures of uh, your obstacles. Uh, create stories um, where you know about you know your resistance to to living fully, uh, right. uh, play it up, uh, mm-hmm. you know, talk it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I, in other words, 
just explore the experience of being stuck and what that's about, mm-hmm. um, partly as a way to regain momentum rather than trying to make an end run around it and just immediately get a fix into uh, what's on the other side. I think the way is not around, it's through. I think that's excellent advice, and I don't think that that's the common advice that people, you know, get. They get more like, get over it, you know? <laughs> right, and, <laughs> Move and on. Here are the five easy steps. Yeah, right, right. And that's maybe why you use the Ritalin, you know, because I was so shocking to you, because your family was so close, and I'm sure all of those who are still surviving are very close, that mm. you were so surprised that you, you were drugged without your knowledge, you know? It's right. like, that that's just something that you got to add to your fire that has allowed you to be inspired even more, like, wow, I was drugged yeah. for this many years. Dang, I, I, I have to make sure that I reach my inspiration over and right. over and over again. Yeah. Mm. So here, here's another way then. Um, you know, speaking, I suppose, of desperation and suffering, um, you know, to the degree that they're portals into passion, is uh, one way to get moving to whatever degree you may feel like you've lost the sense of passion and movement is look for where you lose it. Just look at your life and take a little inventory and look at where you lose energy and passion and vitality. I mean, maybe it's as obvious as a job that sucks the life out of you or relationships where you kind of feel uh, like a shadow of your full glorious self. Or maybe it's um, your eager mind, um, your bright mind being put in boring, dull circumstances routinely. Uh, you know, uh, so I, I just think there's something to be said for looking at where the energy drains out of your life. Right. You know, I, I think I'm, uh, here's an example, and this is the level at which I'm encouraging people to look at this stuff. Um, close to home, I've identified in the last year or so a little habit of mine that on a daily basis drains a little bit of enthusiasm out of my life. Mm-hmm. And that is that in that little transition zone between sleeping and getting up in the morning, <laughs> um, you know, which I get to enjoy in slow-mo because I don't get woken up by an alarm clock. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it helps to be self-employed. <laughs> um, but what I've noticed is that what generally gets me out of bed every morning is a thought wow. about something... Um, I've got to get done today, something I should have gotten done yesterday and didn't get to, something, um, a a looming deadline, or uh, sometimes it's just an irritating noise outside, like a weed whacker or something. Uh, um, In other words, a negative thought is often what gets me out of bed. So what I've been experimenting with in the last year is uh, waiting around just for a minute or two in bed until a more affirmative thought crosses my mind, and only touching my feet to the floor on that note. Right. In other words, an upswing rather than a downer. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. You know, and that, that I'm definitely noticing has an impact on my day. Right. To start out that way and literally ground myself in that kind of a disposition. And, and again, that's, you know, that's where I encourage people to look for this stuff, is to Mm -hmm. look for the, the subtlest, um, impulses to uh, express yourself, to act on your passions, to be more affirmative with your life. Um, the, the little choice points all throughout any given day that take you either toward or away from feeling a, a sense of aliveness. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so this requires a lot of self-awareness, which I think is something that a lot of people just don't want to pay attention to. Mm, yeah. Yet, if they don't, they're not going to be happy. You, you write this um, one story. I mean, you, the book is full of stories of where you interviewed people about their passion and, and the things, even the stuck areas of their life. You write about a young man, Peter, who was... Um, hiking for months in the Himalayan mountains and on his he said he literally described it as a high and yeah. he was thrilled and as he got closer and closer to civilization he just got angrier and more frustrated and mm-hmm. unhappy right. big sign for him i mean hopefully yeah. he has a degree in forestry and he can be <laughs> out you know in the smoke towers you know during the summer making sure the forests aren't burning down because he's going to be happy out there right uh, and yes. I, I think that's that place where you identify the joy and notice the contrast as you're eloquently describing and choosing the joy versus the part that doesn't make you happy. Right. And I and I understand some of the challenges. I, I think maybe it comes down to uh, sort of the primary dichotomy or duality for people around all this is the struggle between passion and security. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's the, the part of you that wants to live out loud and um, hike in the Himalayas and f- fulfill your bucket list items and do your work, the work that you came here to do, and the part of you that wants a regular paycheck, you know, um, the part of you that wants the comforts of home and hearth, you know, and so we're constantly having to negotiate this little tug of war. And unfortunately, my my own my own experience, as well as my observation, is that in the in the contest between passion and security, um, security tends to win, mm, and right. passion tends to get backburnered. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe this is partly just the way we're raised, um, the role modeling we got, um, the uh, you know living through a great recession or living in a code orange world. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of downward pulling forces that make us just feel like just get me through the day. Just give me a paycheck. Uh, let me keep my house. Um, you know my medical benefits. Right. Yeah. You know, and and, and we sacrifice the passion to that. And so, mm-hmm. what happens if you're not expressing it? Then you're either suppressing it, or repressing it, or depressing it. And they all mean the same thing, right. which is to be pushed down. But I don't believe, and, and this is actually a good thing. I don't believe we can push. These, these passionate energies down with impunity. Um, I, uh, I remember reading a Mexican poet years ago who said, I tried to drown my sorrows with drink, but the damn things learned how to swim. <laughs> and I, yeah. that just captures so much of it. Is, you know, this is, this is part of us that will not go away. The search party's not going to retire. And that's, I think, the blessing and the curse of passion. Wow. Wow. And and so you have, you know, written this lovely book to help people to get to help them maneuver through this interesting maze of discovering passion first and foremost because a lot of people really have no idea what makes them happy. Um, right. They're pretty closed off to that type of experience. And then, of course, when we look at some of our younger generations, they actually have an idea, but they're in that interesting struggle of how do I buy my first house and do things that I love <laughs> and have a family. Right, um, right exactly. Mm-hmm, which is fascinating. So we're going to take a break here on the Marie Manucherry Show. I'm having the pre- pleasure of interviewing the author of Vital Signs, Greg Lavoie, and we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. 
Reiki is an easy healing tool to help family members and even pets. Reiki is rapidly becoming a necessary and sought-after technique to help individuals find a deeper place of healing. Throughout this workshop, Marie will assist participants in understanding how to transmute health issues and to use intention to heal all areas of human life. Join Marie September 25th through the 27th, where she will happily share her theories, experiences, and provide readings for weekend participants. For more information, visit energyintuitive.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome back face reader Mac Fulfer. The features on your face say a lot about who you are. On Saturday, psychic bystander Louisa Oakley Green returns with more stories of skepticism turned upside down being married to a psychic. Then newcomer John Herlosky takes us through the fascinating world of remote viewing in the CIA project known as Stargate. Bringing you fascinating talk since 2007, we are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. I'm more resourceful than I thought. My suit can still make an impression. My video games are still game changers. And my lamp can bring others a bright future. Because when I donate my stuff to Goodwill, it helps fund job placement and training for people right in my community. Now my stuff gets a second chance. And will give someone in my community a second chance, too. Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. That's goodwill.org. This message brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. Join Marie for a conversation at East West Bookshop on Friday evening, August 21st, and train your mind to take action. What if your mind was the most amazing tool in your body? What if it was ready and willing to be trained? Find out more during this interactive evening conversation with Marie. For more information, visit Marie's event page at energyintuitive.com. Outside the box, outside the norm, inside your radio. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to the Marie Manu Cherry Show, and welcome, Greg, to Seattle. You, I'm sure you've been here before, and uh, you've landed. You have. You've landed on perfect weather weekend, so congratulations to you. And, you really? Pardon? Yeah, I'm delighted about that. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have a wonderful time, of course, and you are um, at an event on Sunday. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please? Oh, yes. It's the um, Center for Spiritual Living in Seattle, and um, uh, the information's either online or on my website, which is just greglavoy.com, and it's, um, I'm giving a half-hour presentation at each morning service and a three-hour hands-on workshop in the afternoon. Oh, what a blessing for people. How lucky and mm. wonderful for them to have you in presence here, um, but to give them hands-on information, too, as well. That's fantastic. Yes, this um, right. Center for Spiritual Living is an amazing venue, so I'm sure you're going to have a blast. Great, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, we've been talking about some pretty, I think, cool and wonderful things and um, about humanness and, you know, these desires to have our, our home and our family and, you know, uh, health care, which, of course, is one of the reasons why I love Obamacare, because it takes a lot of things out of the mix for people who maybe people who were felt stuck in a job because they have a, a sick child. And we had the 
uh, unfortunate rule of um, no preconditions in terms of finding insurance, again, was a challenging thing for people. And now we have a lot of those things taken out of the soup, which gives a lot of freedom to people to um, change careers, perhaps, or become self-employed, all kinds of interesting things that, um, at least in that respect, has provided some light into the the possibility of um, living an impassioned life for them. Great. And uh, when you were talking about that suffering piece, I completely agree with you that when something really challenging happens in your life, that could inspire you to do things that don't make you feel that way anymore. Yeah. You know, you know who Gene Houston is? Sounds very familiar. Does that name ring a bell? Yeah. Um, the, the author, mythologist, um, she, uh, she once said that people who are described as larger than life uh, are not that way because they're physically imposing, you know, or uh, uh, charismatic or heroic or leading revolutions or something. She, she says that people who are larger than life are that way because they're profoundly present wow. to the stuff of their lives. And I'm really struck by that. Um, larger than life means you're really keenly aware of your own life. You're operating on, you're cooking on more burners. You're using your senses more than most people. You're inhabiting your body and your mind more than most people. And uh, you're paying exquisite attention at, at any given juncture. And I just think that that's so critical to be able to make our way, you know, with joy and exuberance and and our passion for life wow. is to pay really close attention to it. And what is, what do I need at any given moment? What's you know, w- you know, what will take me toward aliveness, and what will take me away from it? And uh, to be willing to turn on some of these receivers and listen and hear what you hear when you turn them on. And this is an acquired taste, right? <laughs> right. You know. To, to to be yourself, to hear what you hear when you listen in deeply, because it may not be consistent with what you're doing with your life presently, and that will require that you change. And so basically what you're saying is is to embody yourself and to be more energetically aware of your surroundings and what inspires you or at least piques your interest, whether that's the light on some trees, you know, as you're driving, you know, without getting into a car accident, allow that to inspire you. Um, to, to be curious uh, in, in that wonder and delight. And I loved what you said earlier, too, about paying attention to the things that drain you. Because when people, right. when someone's energy is drained, it's really difficult for them to feel inspired, to get curious. You know, they're just working on filling their energy back up in their body so that they can go make another cup of coffee to go do the thing that they don't like to do for eight hours. Right. You know, so it's, um, it's, it's that very interesting dance where we allow ourselves to be childlike as much as possible um, while we figure out how we can infuse our passion into our daily life. It's, it's quite Absolutely. phenomenal. Absolutely. You know, in terms of the childlike thing, too, um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the, what the Buddhists call beginner's mind, you know, and that may be partly because of my dad playing the alien game with me, you know, <laughs> but, um, or, or what uh, um, uh, teachers call being a lifelong learner, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I just think it's imperative to keep looking at the, the, the world through the eyes of children and not get jaded. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember Carl Sagan. You know Carl right, Sagan? yeah, lovely. Mm-hmm. He, he, he uh, once described the difference between going into a kindergarten class 
and a high school class talk about <laughs> science. And uh, you can imagine where this story is going to go. But, yeah. the, you know, the, the kindergartners were, were open for business. You know, they're, they're avidly curious. They're, they're endlessly enthusiastic. Um, they're natural they're natural born scientists mm-hmm. and uh, and they've yeah. never heard of a dumb question and then there's the <laughs> high schoolers you know who who are jaded by and large and the for instance the sense of wonder which i think of and apparently you do too as as essential ingredient in living passionately is for them relegated to kid stuff wow you know it's it's something that embarrasses them to be to not be a knower and they're terrified of asking stupid questions right. you know and it's like what happens in that 10 years wow you know where our natural exuberances in a sense get drugged by life by the world <laughs> by the demands by the disappointments uh-huh. by the need to toe the line and and you know, sit up straight and straighten your tie and um, nice girls don't and big boys don't and all of these strictures. Right. Um, and, and it's like we have to, uh, we, in a sense, we have to fight for our own honor. Right. We have to continually um, re-engage with the world and um, wonder is a fantastic place to start. It's really just, you know, it's like, why do your fingers wrinkle in the bathtub? <laughs> you know, why, how do spiders avoid getting caught up in their own web? You know, <laughs> stuff we live with every day, we don't even bother to, to, to look it up. Right, I think that's just you know? lovely. Um, you write in the book about how you um, were going to have a reading with a clairvoyant medium, actually, and this was related, I, actually, I think, to real work that you were doing in the world. And yep. um, and this person, this channeler or medium, had asked you to, uh, I thought it was a fabulous question, to think that you were going to be sitting close to God, and uh, you had to figure out what that meant to you, because you have been agnostic, you wrote in the book, uh, most of your life. Right. So you came up with your own version of what that might look like, and and whatever question you would want to ask, you know, God, you have this opportunity, and you came up with two pages of questions. Yes. I mean, wow, how, first of all, how fun and exciting uh. and curious um, that would be to just be evoked into this place of, oh my gosh, I, I want to know about this and I want to know about that. And maybe, maybe exactly. things we've forgotten about, you know, years ago, things that had happened and whatnot. So, so how, how did that end for you, that, that lovely uh. exchange? You know, if you could share some of that, that'd be great. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, as a reporter... And as a kid who grew up in a, a family with some scientists in it, this assignment that the channeler gave me to come prepared with a list of questions I'd want to ask God if I had a, an afternoon with God <laughs> was right up my alley. Because I think questions are absolutely essential to the discovery process right. and to learning of any sort. And if you don't have a natural inquisitiveness about things, you're just not going to be on a learning curve. Right. You know, and you're not going to be kind of amazed by the world. You know, I remember uh, Isaac Asimov once said um, that the most essential um, question in science, the, the most essential experience in science is not Eureka. It's, <laughs> it's hmm, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. And uh-huh. that's kind of what the channeler was asking me to do is to, is to um, use my, my essential curiosity and come up with the questions I really want to understand about life. And uh, so I guess the upshot of it was 
for me wasn't even so much his answers as much as the questions I came up with. Right. Because I think that um, it's it's a good thing to identify the questions that that are at the heart of your particular journey. Wow. You know, wow. what, what motivates, what drives you, what's the problem you were born to understand? Right. I, I just think you this know, would be a great, um, I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, it's quite right. A great assignment for all of our listeners today, you know, to maybe spend this weekend, and it's going to be gorgeous out, so maybe you're on a hike or you're out on your boat or you're gardening, which is part of what I'm going to be doing in the next couple of days is gardening, and to sit down and come up with some questions as if you're speaking to God, and if God doesn't do it for you, then an amazing mountain or a flock of swans or, you know, whatever inspires your uh, kind of spiritual quest, I think it would be a really great assignment. And and I I agree with you, asking the question, because the the universe isn't a vacuum. You know, it it always has a response. It always has some sort of beautiful analogy to the questions we ask from spirit, you know, from our energy. Absolutely. And not only a response, multiple, multiple responses. I mean, again, it depends on whether you have the receiver turned into the on position and you're willing to... to, um, you know, receive the responses from the world, but I think of the brainstorming technique, and the, the, there's one, the heart of the brainstorming technique is the question, in how many ways can I? Mm. That's how brainstorming operates. In how many ways can I mm. make a living doing what I love? Yeah. In how many ways can I be of service to the world with my gift? In how many ways can I <clears throat> be healthier? And how many ways can I work with my own resistance or procrastination? And so what you're doing is you're throwing it open to the universe to to respond in all different kinds of ways, whether it's through um, uh, animals that you meet in the course of a day or a week, maybe it's the natural world, maybe it's conversations, maybe it's books that mysteriously find their way onto your night table. <laughs> you know, the universe is just full of it. It's full of ways of responding to our openness and inquisitiveness great idea i just absolutely love that 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 is beautiful and so for those people who haven't felt passion in a long time which i think is the majority of the population unfortunately i I think a lot of people don't remember what fun it was to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich on wonder bread in the 60s you know i mean i would never eat that today um, unless it was organic peanut butter with organic jelly on a gluten-free piece of bread that I would eat maybe <laughs> once a month, you know. But um, it, it's like those moments of th- th- all that fun, it, you know. How do you help people to get back to that space or to somehow discover that that spark right now? I mean, do you have a suggestion? I'm sure well, yeah. you have a whole book of suggestions, but, you know, like right now. <laughs> yeah, Um well, I think part of it is just, I mean, it's what the 12-steppers call a, a, a searching and fearless inventory. And it doesn't have to be quite that scary sounding, but I think part of it is just identifying where your curiosities are, where your fascinations are, where, where you get into a flow state you know, where you're absorbed in something, you're energized by something, you're oblivious of the world, you know, to identify um, what section of the bookstore you always go into first when you walk into a bookstore. Um, Just to look at your curiosities, your fascinations, where your energies naturally want to gravitate, what you love doing, um, and just start 
identifying places where you feel turned on rather than turned off by the world. Great. And uh, I think it's really just small steps, mm. you know, lots of small steps mm. and, uh, and small risks to identify um, little places where you can take spontaneous risks. I heard a, an improv teacher once say, the, the equation goes like this, ready, fire, aim. <laughs> That's great. And, and to look for places where you can, uh, in a moment, say to somebody what you're actually feeling. Or when somebody asks you, uh, Marie, how you doing today? Tell them how you really right, are. Right, right. I think this is such an important factor. I, 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 people don't say that. They go, oh, fine, you know, I'm okay. And, and they don't mm. even know what they're feeling. Or maybe they are really sad or they had a bad night and they're not telling anyone. Um, of, sure. of course, most of the time when people ask me this question, I usually say amazing. And then they don't know what to say when I say that either because they're not used to someone being really happy or content in their life or you know, f- about to do something joyful. Right. Uh, and, and so, or, or maybe maybe even at some subtle level, it ticks them off yeah. because it reflects to them that right. they don't feel that way and they yeah, very right. seldom feel that way. Right. That's a good point. That's a great point. But I think that's a great place to start with because we ask people all the time, how are you? I mean, someone today is going to ask you, whoever's listening to the show today, and we thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate that. They're going to ask you, how are you? And right. you need to know what that real answer is. And to be able to, to be willing to take a little risk and say, actually, this is how I'm feeling today. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'm so inspired by the work of a woman named Brene Brown. Yeah. Right. She wrote a book called Daring Greatly. Right. She's probably the most popular TED talk. Wow. And um, her book is about, at least that book, is about vo- the power of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Not yes. the weakness. Right. She says we have it all wrong. And the power of being willing to take little risks and little vulnerabilities, and sometimes big ones. And I really recommend her work to people, because it's a game changer when you really get how powerful vulnerability can be. You know, in the book, you talk about a party you went to, and someone brought a box of wigs. I don't know if it was in a box or not, but it was a, a lot of wigs. And everyone yeah. at the party was asked to put one on and have, you know, have let another part of their personality to come through, which, of course, is kind yeah. of a vulnerable thing. You know, that's why a lot of people love Halloween, because they get to get out of their their set personality and be something different. And they have permission right. to do it all day long and all night long. <laughs> and that so many things came out within the people at the party, you know, different aspects that maybe these dear friends hadn't enjoyed with one another. Um, right. And so that's kind of what you're asking us to do, whether we find a pink wig or a glitter one or whatnot every day. Right. Finding little ways to step out of the status quo, little ways. I'm not talking about quitting your job or leaving your marriage or, you know, turning your life upside down. I'm talking about practicing little things like get up on the other side of the bed than the one you always get up on in the morning. Sit at a different side of the breakfast table than the one you always sit at for breakfast. You know, um, drive to work a slightly different route than the one you always take. Uh, Rearrange one piece of furniture in your house. Um, Or things like bundling a little bit of novelty into your days. Because I think of novelty as pretty much a corrective mm. for habit and routine mm. and everyday kinds of trances, which are very easy to fall into. Um, you know, uh, little bits of novelty. Mm, that's um, a great idea. And, uh, right. I, I just think uh, 
shake it up just a little bit so that you're not just doing the same old, same old. Right. Oh, I think that's a fabulous idea. I'm having the pleasure of interviewing the author of the, oh, I'm so sorry, The Nature and the Nurture of Passion by Greg Lavoie. And we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Please join Marie Manucheri on June 19th in New York at the Omega Institute and discover how your energy system directly affects your organs and learn how to effectively communicate with those organs to self-heal. Through guided meditation, intuitive readings, and hands-on exercises, you come to understand the relationship between energy and health. For more information, visit Marie's event page at energyintuitive.com. Do you have an extra dollar per month to spare? There's probably one in your wallet, cup holder, or couch right now. So why not use it to make the world a better place? Dollarpermonth.org lets you do just that by making giving back fun, easy, and trustworthy. Dollarpermonth.org empowers people to create real change in the world today by supporting causes impacting all of us. Global health care, wildlife preservation, the environment, clean water, pick one. Dollarpermonth.org gives you a say in where your donations are distributed, all while running with as minimal overhead as possible. You see, every month, Dollarpermonth.org hosts three new charities who have a proven track record for actually making a difference in the world and for being responsible with their own donor contributions. You can always trust where your donations are going through Dollarpermonth.org. Giving back has never been easier. You sign up through the community for as little as $1 per month or more. Through the Dollarpermonth.org community, you can be responsible for hundreds or even thousands of dollars in support of the best and most responsible charities in the world today. Together, we can change the world. So go to dollarpermonth.org today and see what your dollar can do. Visit the beautiful island of Cortez in British Columbia and attend Perception is Everything, a weekend workshop beginning June 29th and discover a feel knowing that everything in the universe is made up of subatomic particles. All particles respond to our perception and each of us has the power to change our perception, hence moving particles and literally changing personal outcomes. For more information about this weekend workshop, visit Marie's event page at energyintuitive.com. We live in a world that's become predictable. Our realities are filled with distractions, hopelessness, and confusion. We've begun to lose touch of what we're truly capable of. It's time for us to regain our true potential. Join psychic medium and crystal child, Lindsay Paul, as she connects to the other side and brings back messages from beyond, along with her psychic and skeptic, Abraham DeWeese and indigo child, Sarah Ellis. They'll help you sort of new heights by answering your questions. Don't miss Wisdom Within Radio, Thursdays at 1 p.m. Open your ears, open your heart, open your mind. Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. 
And welcome back to the Marie Manu Cherry Show. We are blessed to have Greg Lavoie in the studio. Well, really, on the phone, although he is in Seattle because he will be at the Center for Spiritual Living on Sunday. He'll be part of both services and teaching hands-on workshops in the afternoon. And that's so exciting, Greg. I'm so happy that you're here in town and that you'll be sharing your gifts and your knowledge with many people who I'm sure want to live an impassioned life. It's fabulous. Um, And so I wanted to talk about um, the risk factor. Uh, I mentor people in the field of energy medicine, and one of the things that I mentor them about is when you're taking a step, which I think is in alignment with source energy, God, creation, our higher selves, you know, whatever language we want to use, that it's going to feel like a risk. It's going to feel like you're stepping on that cliff, even though we're really not threatening our own well-being, our physical health, but it's going to feel that way. And you talk about that in the book, that passion is a risk, basically. Right. Yeah, it, absolutely. And, and by that, I'm, when I say the passion is in the risk, right. I think what I'm trying to get at is that um, the horse and cart equation is not necessarily that you find your passions and then start taking risks on their behalf, but that often through the act of taking risks, um, making decisions or putting yourself on the line or, um, you know, the willingness to step from the sidelines onto the playing field, it's by doing those kinds of things that you begin to discover what your passions are and kind of light a fire under them. You know, I had a guy come to me for a consultation uh, about two years ago, he was convinced that he needed, as he put it, absolute clarity before he could start acting on some particular passion. And I suggested to him that that maybe the clarity he seemed intent on finding, he was only going to find by taking action. Wow. You know, and, um, and uh, you know, and risk, by the way, of course, is utterly relative this is not a comparison game. Right. It, risk is what, whatever's well. Risk is what scares you. Right. That's so it. True. it. You know, it's and uh, whatever brings a little excitement into your life. Right. You know, and it is definitely not necessarily the big scary stuff like jumping out of airplanes or traveling the world solo or something. It's much closer to home. You know, mm-hmm. and that's again why I'm encouraging people to take the small steps that are not so likely to fry your circuits, you know, like, take, you know, taking your jokes to open mo- mic night. Yeah, I love know, or, or it, yeah. Be, be the first to make up after a quarrel. These are risks, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, you know, say, say uh, yes to something you've been saying no to, just to try it out, right. you know, or say no to something you've been putting up with for, for too long, right. you know. Uh, so ultimately, around the risk piece, I, I think of... Abraham Maslow, who uh, was a psychologist and gave us the hierarchy of needs pyramid. Mm-hmm. At the bottom, food, clothing, and shelter, a little higher up, belonging, and way at the top, at the top of the pyramid, is what he called self-actualization. Right. All right. Yeah. So he's the guy who defined the term self-actualization. Self-actualiz- he said that self-actualizing types are those who make the growth choice over the fear choice a dozen times a day. Wow. Now, that's a bar set pretty high. Wow. You know, but again, it's in the small steps of the growth choice over the fear choice. It it reminds me of a mentor of mine who I was 
I had lunch with this guy. I was um, contemplating quitting my job as a reporter and becoming a freelance writer, and I was lamenting my fear of failing at it. And he said, Greg, if you're not failing regularly, (laughs) you're living so far below your potential that you're failing anyway. Wow. Wow. Which explains why I had lunch with him maybe once a year. Yeah, good idea, right? Because he's giving you excellent (laughs) advice and giving you the right language so that you can go, oh my gosh, he's so completely right. I have nothing to lose. I'm going to go ahead and become this freelance writer, which has obviously been wonderful for you. In, In the chapter about the passion is in the risk, you talk about this story where you were giving a talk at a woman's prison. And because you talk about how risk is very is very individualized, as you just pointed out, you know, what scares one person may not scare another. Uh, Like in my case, going to school and studying nursing was really a risk for my family because my family is so holistic and anti-medicine. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm risking everybody going, what are you doing and why are you doing that? And and not feeling love because that's what we all want. We want to feel love. And that's why we make choices, because we think it's going to guarantee that people are going to love us. Um, and so this woman at the at the end of your talk, a woman in the audience came up and gave you a hug. And I'm yeah. sure at the time you didn't think that was unusual. But as it turned out, it's against the rules for her to probably right. have physical contact with anyone. And right. so she risked getting in trouble, you know, whatever that means for her prison. <laughs> um, for yeah, the, and more prison time. Yeah, more prison time. But she really wanted to thank you. For what you said, it inspired her so much that she was willing willing to risk whatever that was for her. Exactly, and that, and that was a good example of how relative risk is. You know, I mean, it isn't unusual for me to get hugs at the end of of engagements, but it, and given the context, it was a huge risk. You know, wow. and uh, so again, it's it's just partly about identifying for yourself um, what would push me a little bit past my comfort zone. You know, not not into the zone of freaking out and and uh, flipping all the circuit breakers, but um, just would push me a little bit into what psychologists call just manageable difficulty, <laughs> where you're where you're you're you've launched yourself into the learning curve a little bit, and, right, uh, right, and 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 just pushing yourself a little past the comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, I recently ordered some organic soil and compost for the house, and I used to have children living in my house, my children, and they would do work for me for money, of course, and um, so I would get maybe 10 yards of compost, you know, too. And and my kids don't live with me anymore, or they don't live frequently enough with me to get them to do work. <laughs> so I only, but I really wanted the compost and the soil, so I, instead I ordered five yards. And, and of course, I have no kids to help me. It's going to be me most of the time. And so it was that place where I really want to do this, but I can't really depend on too many other people to help me do it. But I really want to be in the soil, even if it's raining. You know, I want that compost under my toenails. You know, I want, I, I want to like, you know, I want to be in that smelly, delicious place. And, and so I think you're absolutely right. We can find that part where maybe we wouldn't do something because we don't have the help that we typically do or the circumstances. But yet, when you have that pull to do something that impassions you, you have to figure out a way where you can still do it and enjoy it, but not drive yourself crazy. And in addition, another step, I think, too, is not just take the risks, but um, assess them when you're done. You Mm. know, it's like, I think the point is to take steps toward vitality, whatever that means to you, and in whatever arena, and Mm -hmm. then look at the feedback that your own life gives you 
I think that's uh, that sort of completes the circuit. Um, so you take a step toward, um, you take a little risk, and you look at whether you feel more expansive or more contracted. You take a, a different step. You, you look at whether you feel better or worse, uh, more awake or more asleep. You take another step. You look at what your body tells you. How do you actually feel in your body? Um, you take another step. You ask, how, what are your dreams telling you at night, having mm-hmm. done this? You know, so I think there's a little um, feedback loop that's really important to look at. How do you feel when you push past your comfort zone? Right. So Sometimes you'll feel fear and, and fear come up. Sometimes you'll feel exuberance, and, and it's important to notice what happens. I think that's an excellent idea. So you're basically asking people to do some research after they've taken some risk or in the middle of it or whatnot to see how they feel and any feedback they're even getting from the people around them because all of that Absolutely. could be information to help them to stay on course, that they're yeah. in the right place, they're going the right direction. And even though it may not seem logical, which is what I highly recommend, is people stop listening to their minds because the, <laughs> the ego is not your friend. <laughs> you know, we, we don't need to hunter and gather, most of us, any longer, not really. <laughs> you know, so... Um, um, but I think that's lovely. That's just taking some research. Uh, as I yeah, think that's think, a great think idea. Like a scientist, you, mm-hmm. you're, you've got a hypothesis. You're testing the hypothesis and looking for results. Right. So, do you think that that what we're talking about right now is also remaining neutral, not getting too emotionally involved, or you know, in, in the fear of the emotional fear of a situation, but kind of observing what's happening, so that you can make the next best step that's going to lead you into that place of bliss versus in your head, freaking out, you know, scaring the heck right. out of yourself about things that haven't even happened yet and probably won't happen. Yeah. I, I think um, being neutral about your own life is a high art, um, one from the easier said than done category. <laughs> but at the very least, like I think what you're getting at is uh, take a little bit of a step outside and look back in through the shop window, you know? Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and and just to have a just cultivate just a little extra step of um, I mean you called it neutrality uh, um, where you're you're just an observer mm-hmm. and you're taking field notes yeah. on on uh, an unusual species yes. out in the field you know yes I, I and, think and it's I a think great that idea. can sometimes help create a little healthy distance um, so that you know you're not just in it up to your eye sockets. Right, right, and so that you so that you can actually see what wow, nothing bad happened. People actually are making positive comments. I I look better. I look more rested. Mm. They wonder if I've changed my diet or whatever. Mm. If a person was actually doing something different, um, people go, oh, thank you, that was great. I loved what you did. So you get all this information externally because your energy is actually vibrating in more alignment of who you are, even right. though logically maybe that doesn't make sense to you. Right. Yeah. And even if something quote-unquote bad does happen as a result of um, taking on more of your passions or, or saying no where you always said yes or yes where you always said no, even if you know, the, the feedback from the world is perhaps painful or uncomfortable, um, that's just all part of the learning. That's part of, uh, you know, that is part of the learning curve itself. And right. uh, so just, again, maybe to suffer creatively, Aww. you know, to really, to really use it. Uh, but not to be afraid that if I do X, something bad is going to happen. Um, right. But just to, right. to really explore it and let that in. 
Wow. Greg, I have so enjoyed um, your time here on the radio on KKNW here. And luckily, those of us who live in the Washington area, you can flock to the Center for Spiritual Living Seattle and meet Greg in person. You can listen to him during the services and be fortunate enough to sign up for his hands-on workshop and discover your passion and get happy because it'll be great for all of humanity, of course, yourself and your family, but it will enhance all of us as we journey here on Earth. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a delight. My pleasure. Thank you, Marie. You're welcome. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Joyful blessings. Bye-bye.